0: You can open your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 20. We looked a week ago at the first part of this second commandment. Exodus 20 verses 4 through 6 is the second commandment. Let me read it to you. Hear God's Word. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in the heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. We looked at, uh, in the first commandment, that the object of worship is God, God alone. Have no other gods. Second commandment, make no idols. Uh, we're looking at the manner of worship. How does God want to be worshipped? He wants us to do it by not using images. He says, don't make one. Don't invent one. Don't think one. Images don't love me. Now, after looking at the manner of worship, that images is not the right manner to love God, what is? I want us to deal in a second aspect of this sermon, and the next week I'll... I'll do one more sermon on the second commandment because there's still stuff in there like God's a jealous God. What what does that mean? Uh, We'll look at that next week. But this week I want us to look at what does it mean to use the love language God gives us and to love him the way he wants to be loved. If it's not through images, then what is it through that God wants to be loved? Before I jump there, let me remind you of John chapter 15, verses 10 through 14, or at least 10 and 14. Romans 15 says, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Well, there's the bottom line. If you're going to worship God, God says, you got to keep my commandments, just there's, there's no question about that. He said, I kept the commandments, Christ says, when I was on earth. And by keeping the commandments, I was loving my Father. You, your keeping of the commandments is your way of loving me. That's my love language. So it's got to come through obedience to God's commands. Again, down in verse 14, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. I mean, it's, it's, it's very simple. Obedience matters to God. What is commandment-keeping love? That's what he's asking for. He wants us to love a, love him in a way that is through obedience to his commands. Now, back in Exodus 20, don't miss that last phrase. Verse 6, he says, But showing steadfast love to thousands who do what? Who, who obey. Those who love me and keep my commandments. He defines love here as doing this relationship between God and us doing it consistent with His commands. These commands is not what obeying these commands, He never says this earns us salvation. This does not justify us. This is how we love God after salvation. It's using the commands. He says it's it's, it's my love language. This is the way I like to be loved. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that um, my love language is not surprises. Don't like surprises, hate surprises, don't pull one off on me and expect me to smile. It just is not likely to happen. My wife's love language is surprises, bless her heart, because I don't know how to do surprises. I don't even like surprises. So it has been Hard, difficult for me to learn her language. It's not my language. Now, I did buy her flowers this week. I was surprised I even thought of flowers. She loved it. I'm still wondering why I did it. It's not my language. It's not what I do, but I know she loves it. And trying to love someone the the way they like to be loved is all God is saying. When you get that, you keep his commands to love him. Second commandment, I want us to really think, okay, if it's not images, if God's made it really clear in this command, do not make for yourself an image. that You would be thinking, that would please me? Let me draw a picture of you, God. God says, I don't like that. I don't even like it when you think that, and you know I can see your thoughts, and I can read your hearts and all of that. I I don't receive love that way. You love me, if you love me, I love you back. I love thousands of you. Those who are keeping my commandments. So I want us to think about some of the things. Nobody ever gave me a list, but as you read through the Bible, things where God expressly says, These are things that I am pleased with. If God's pleased with them, they're commands that we can use. To love Him. Now before I get to my list of ten. I want you to see three quick examples. So that you really get a grip on the fact that this matters. First of all the example of Nadab and Abihu. Look at Leviticus 1 through three. Leviticus 10. Crucial. Passage. That um, helps us see the importance of this to God. Leviticus Ten verses one through three says, now Nadab and Abihu. Those were the first priests. That uh, Aaron was the high priest. That his two sons Nadab and Abihu here were the first priests put into place uh, with the tabernacle in the, in the wilderness worship. So they're in charge. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered. And here's key phrase unauthorized fire, which literally means some sort of fire in this pan that's not wasn't, wasn't prescribed, wasn't according to command. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So it, it, it defines it there. Verse 2, And fire came from before the Lord and consumed him, came out from the Lord, consumed him, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord said, has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, you can imagine as dad to Nadab and Abihu, you've got a beef with God. God, you chose me to be priest. Comes through me to my sons. I put my sons in charge of this task. And what? You kill them like that? Sure, they messed up. God said, hold it, hold it, calm down. You don't understand how serious this is. I'm a holy God. And your sons brought something strange before me. It was not commanded. It was not prescribed. They had clear prescriptions. We don't know what they brought. and We don't need to speculate because that's not the point. They had a very clear command. You take your fire pan, you put your incense, different things, you light it up and you go and you offer it before the Lord. This was the priest's job as representatives for the people. They're doing this for all of you, offering this because it's pleasing to God. Now, this particular day, Nadab and Abihu says, Hey, why why don't we mix this and mix this, you know, whatever. I don't know. This will smell good. I bet God will like this. Famous last words. I bet this won't matter. I bet God will like it. Just like this. Was not commanded. Was not prescribed. God says, that's strange. That's not what I I asked for. That wasn't what I told you was pleasing to me. Why are you bringing this strange incense, this strange fire? doesn't please me at all. And Aaron, get quiet. You need to get this message before the next priest comes in here. And the people of God needs to get this message. That bringing me something that's not according to command does not please me. You know, we have it all the time in the church. People say, you know, uh, how about uh, let's switch to grape juice instead of wine. God won't matter. Famous last words of Nadab and Abihu. See, we have no place where that's prescribed. Say, well, that's just a little thing. Ah, he won't matter. Or we say, so let's, let's add women to the elder board. Well, th- that would be current. And surely Christ values women. Oh, yeah, it's current. He does value women, but it's not prescribed anywhere. Ah, but God won't matter. Famous last words. You see, there's so many things like that. Let's just sing hymns, let's just sing Psalms only. Things people have brought to the table. Where God says, sings psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He didn't prescribe one only. Ah, but it won't matter. That's what I like. It's little stuff like that. You see, that's the point of Nadab and Abihu. It was something little. You would think, ah, it won't matter, surely. And yet it does just as it matters to you and me. I'll give you another example. Look at Deuteronomy 12:28 through 32. Deuteronomy 12. Here again, God speaking to his people, "Be careful to obey all these words that I command you." that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess and you dispossess them and you dwell in the land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burned their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Very specific. God says, you look around, you see the nations, you see other people and how they worship, and you see something you like. I like the way they dress. I like the way they do music. I like the way they do their offerings. Hey, man, they really light it up with their fires. Whatever. God says, don't think, oh, that'll be so cool. I'll do that for my God. God says, no, it's abominable. Do you not get this? Because I didn't command it. I have a particular love language. It's called my commandments. And when you go outside those commands, you've gone into another language. And you're approaching me differently than the way I have directed you. Don't add to my directions. Don't take away from my directions. They're very specific, what I like. And, I mean, you say, well, God, I saw that they sacrificed their own children. What could be more sincere than to give my own flesh and blood to show I love you? God says, that is so abominable to me. Don't go there. Don't add to the commands. Don't take away from my commandments. I'll give you one other example. You're beginning to see, I hope, how serious this is to love God according to his prescriptions. Look at Colossians chapter 2, New Testament example, beginning at verse 16. Colossians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 16, says, "...therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in detail about visions." Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joint and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then he gives like a list for example, do not handle, do not taste. Do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are, and here's the key phrase, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh people come to us and say this this would make church better we would be more disciplined if we did it this way god says no value no value no value don't listen to the people who've invented things that make worship better listen to the word of god People constantly invent stuff and come up with ideas. This would really make it better if we had different kind of dress, if we had different kind of decorum, if we had different kind of music, if we had different kind of uh, practices, if we had different kind of kneeling or different kind of standing. Whatever they come up with, it doesn't matter. It has no value in expressing to me love because i've already expressed to you my love language the ways in which you can love me so now that you see how serious it is what are these values these ways in which god has prescribed we can love him i want to give you 10 typical 13 point round tree sermon right i already given you 3 points let's go for the next 10 all right a list of 10 ways we can Love God. These are elements of command keeping love. Four of them you get in one passage, so uh, we could move fairly quickly, and I'll try to keep us on task. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And in your mind, especially in the New Testament, when you're seeing uh, the apostles set up church. And they start in homes and move to larger arenas as the church grows. But as, as they set up the church, the way they do it is the way Christ has taught them. Christ spent three years with them, training them. And the last words out of his mouth to them, Okay, now I want you to go to, into every ethnic group and I want you to make disciples. And I want you, you to teach them everything I commanded you. comes back to these commands. I want you to do it according to the prescription. And so what we read that they are doing is what the apostles uh, put in place. So here it is, Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and uh, and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there's four things mentioned in that passage that the early church was devoted to. It's not something they just did one time. This is something, and as you keep reading the passage, I'll run out of time if I read it all. Keep doing the passage. This is something they were doing every week. They were devoting, they were coming together on the first day of the week, and they were listening to the teaching of the apostles. Until the apostles passed off and to other preachers. But they were listening to preaching and teaching. They were, they were engaged in fellowship. They were engaged in the breaking of bread. I'll show in a minute uh, the understanding that was the communion meal. And they were Engaged in prayers, but let's just think about the teaching first. Is um, a way that is pleasing to God. Look at Ephesians four eleven as it goes to the next um, uh, generation from the apostles. You see it here, Ephesians four, verse eleven. And he gave the this is Christ. He gave the apostles, the prophets. The evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That's, there's one of two places in the Bible. Some translations translate shepherd as pastor. You only have that term twice. But he gave to the apostles, but he also gave to the pastors, or the shepherds and teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is how it gets done. It's through preaching and teaching. Christ commanded the apostles, preach and teach. Set up preaching and teaching. The way the church grows, the way the church understands the commands is through preaching and teaching. In 2 Timothy 4, I gave you that passage, verse 2, it says preach in season and out of season. In other words, there's no season. It's every season is a season for preaching. Christ says, I love it. Christ loves seeing his people come together and hearing his ex- commands expounded. He wants us to know them. And He has chosen to work through preachers to drive them into our hearts and our lives to exhort us and to remind us from week after week. Something God loves. He loves being in heaven right now, hearing preaching in every language, in every ethnic group. He loves seeing His children submit and surrender to the Word of God. That's a distinguishing mark of believers. As we give up our mindset to be transformed through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Second thing God loves, you saw it in Acts 2.42, is fellowship. He loves fellowship. Let me show it to you in another verse. Look at the Hebrews 2 passage, or excuse me, 10 passage. Um, and very popular, which you'd be familiar with as soon as I read it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God says, I want you to come together not just to hear preaching, but I want you to come together to stir one another up. I want you to spend time poking each other, prodding each other, Talking to one another, stirring up one another. I realized this when I became a a, a grandfather. There's times when I just I love sitting in a chair somewhere and just watching my kids get along, my grandkids, and help one another and encourage one another and stir one another on to good deeds. It's a great pleasure. It's my love language. God says that's my love language. I love it when you get together. That's why we, we've said you know, the online service doesn't work because there's an aspect of Christian ministry where you have to stir one another up. It can't be something you do virtually. You have to be in a face-to-face situation to see one another and know one another and express love and kindness and uh, compassion and sometimes exhortation, admonition to one another. God is pleased when we're under preaching and then when we prod and stir one another up to love and good deeds. We have to be together to pull that off. We can't just be somewhere else tuning in. Number three, in-person administration of communion. We saw again Acts 2.42, the breaking of bread uh, together. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about um, uh, I usually read it a lot for communion. It says, as often as you meet together. He says, first of all, he was chiding them. You should be doing that to take communion. But instead of taking communion, you're doing other stuff. And you've got to get back to communion. It's God's commandments. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is all about. God is pleased when we take the Lord's Supper week to week to week. He says, ah. Oh, I mean, you get to see from heaven. Ah, oh, My children. They've stopped to remember me. They've stopped to remember the sacrifice of my son. They've stopped to turn from sin. They've stopped to to embrace me and my righteousness. They remember my body. They remember my blood. God is pleased when his children come together preaching for fellowship, to take communion. Baptism, we've talked about that uh, many times. When you take the bread and the wine, when you have water applied to your head, as soon as it's over, who knows? You're like, nobody here. Who knows in the world? Nobody. These are signs God gives us that the world doesn't see. Who sees it? Heaven sees it. God sees it. There's my child. It's like that... uh, whatever it is, that fluorescent stuff they stamp you with, or, you know, we're stamped on the top of our head, and heaven says, baptized. There's there's one of my children. They have the mark of baptism. Or God can look within us and say, there's one of my children. They've eaten and drunk of my body and my blood. It pleases God that we do this. We didn't invent these rituals. And I encourage nobody to be indoctrinated into rituals that men have invented that you can't even exercise faith with because they're not commanded. These are things God has commanded us to do because it pleases Him. That's the point. I want us to see it over and over. Number four, uh, in-person prayers, Acts 2.42 says they were devoted to prayers. 1 Timothy 2 says, we're supposed to pray for everybody. Start with the leaders of our nation. Lift up holy hands, says of men there in 1 Timothy 2. And pray through the Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, we are to pray. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, we're to pray about everything. Constantly, God wants us. What is prayer? It's it's, It's communication with God. God wants us talking to him. Tell me about your day. Tell me about everything. And ask of me what you need for everything. Now let me give you one verse and we'll use it twice maybe. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for everything. To God the Father. So that's where it becomes a prayer. Who are you thanking? You're thanking God. You're going to God the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're praying. And you're giving thanks. God said, I love that. When you start your prayers with thanks. Try always doing that. Our Father. Thank you. That I can call you Father. Thank you that I can bring this before you you begin giving thanks in all things god just loves it he wants us to do it and he wants us to be devoted to it the church was doing that together so we pray together we pray individually god wants us devoted to it um what number am i on uh, prayers number five in in person singing of praise same passage that's why i wanted to get use this twice Go back a verse, verse 9, 19. Ephesians 5, verse 19. Addressing one another. See, it's not just God here. One another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So in our fellowship, in our time together as a church, we're singing to God. We're singing to one another. We're praying with one another for one another, all of this before God, and God says, I love it. I absolutely love it. That's what I prescribed. That's what I wanted you to do. And God is pleased with us when that is indeed what we are doing. We're getting together. Um, some of you say, I can't sing. I never really like singing. See, what doesn't matter? It doesn't have to be your language. It's God's language. God says, enter to my courts. You know Psalm 100, verse 2. Enter to my courts with thanksgiving, with praise. Make a joyful noise, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise and come before the Lord. He loves it. He wants to hear your noise. He wants to hear your singing. He wants to hear your thanks. He wants to hear your rejoicing. He wants to see us Sing to one another. He wants to see us stir one another up. This is his prescription for worship. The manner in which we love him. He says, don't love someone else. Secondly, do love the way I command. Number six. Preaching uh, has been talked about. But there's also an aspect of just reading God's word. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 13. Here the Apostle Paul, training Timothy, gives him this exhortation as well. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So that moves to preaching, teaching. But just public reading of Scripture. You could say, well, David, first century, it was before the... Uh, printing press, people didn't have their own copy of the Bible, now you can pull it up on your phone. Everybody uh, can have a free copy of the Bible. If you've got a phone, you've got a Bible. Even with that kind of access, surveys show that only 10 to 20% of the people in America read their Bible outside of church. And they check off on the survey, they've read their Bible because somebody has publicly read the Bible in church. Have you read the Bible or heard the Bible this week? Yes. When did you do that? In church. It just shows the importance still of publicly reading the Scripture. I read a lot of Scripture, which you hear me do, sermon after sermon, and it's Jonathan. We all do. It's because the Word of God pleases God. He loves hearing his children listen and sit under the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, and hearing the Word of God. So our faith grows and it's strengthened just by hearing. And many people will not hear it if we don't gather and read it. So again, something God loves. Hearing His Word read. Number seven, corporate giving of tithes and offerings. Um... Give you a couple passages here. You heard our elder remind you of, of giving as an act of worship uh, this morning. It is. It, it's a manner, one of the manners in which we worship God. In 1 Corinthians 16, first three verses, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, uh, hoping to come to them. And he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed, the churches of Galatia, so he's not just writing to Corinth, but he's writing to Galatians 2, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Well, there was a great, uh, uh, this time is describing a great uh, famine in uh, the city of Jerusalem so saints all around the region will say, well, how can we help? And Paul says, well, I'm in the region. I'll go around and tell the churches of the famine and I'm on the way to Jerusalem so I can collect funds and take it to Jerusalem. That's what he's doing here. So when you meet on the first day of the week, go ahead and start collecting. If you just wait to do one offering, when I show up, some people won't be there. It won't be, it won't be what we need. Could y'all just go ahead and start taking up an offering every week so when I come it's ready and I can send it on. That's kind of the admonition here. This is a relief offering. God gives us three kinds of commands that he loves. He he gives us a command to tithe, 10%. He gives us a command to construct, to build uh, offerings for buildings. And then he gives us a command to mercy. Mercy kind of giving where we we give um, when somebody has a particular need. This is that need in 1 Corinthians 16. And you just you see this something that God loves. Now, Malachi 3 is the, the, the classic uh, tithing section. And you, you have the love language here uh, in, in the negative. Let me read it. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. God says, you hate me. They said, no, we don't hate you. He says, you've robbed me. No, 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 we haven't robbed you. How have we robbed you? God says, you quit giving the tithe. You quit giving the offering. That's my love language. I give you everything you have. I ask you to give me 10%, a tithe, and that comes into the church, into the storehouse, so that there's always enough for the church to do its ministry. And then there's those other two offerings when there's a special need for an offering and and relief. But he says, this is what I ask. It's just God's love language to see that we're being stewards of what he's given. The majority of people in this church you are doing this, um, and you're loving God with the resources he's given you. There's some of you who aren't. Wake up, listen to this. God, God sees this as something that, that really is offensive. It's, it's strange that you would say you're surrendered to Christ, but you haven't surrendered any financial offering. You haven't given what he's asked. That, God says, that's strange Fire. Ah, God doesn't need it. He's already told us he doesn't need it. He's told us it pleases him. He wants it. It's love. As you keep my commandments, you're expressing love to me. It's not that I need it. Yeah, I own everything. But I I want us to have this loving relationship, and I want you to have this surrenderedness to Christ that comes through our bowing down to truly worship him according to his commands. Uh, Number eight, in-person participation in elder-ruled church living and ministry. Big line because I don't hear it talked about much. I want to take you through these passages real quick, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5. I just want you to begin to see it. As you read through the Bible, you would be seeing these things. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13 says... We ask your brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, you'll find that as we keep going through Scripture. Those over you, you say, well, I didn't know anybody was over me. There's elders that are over you in the Lord, commanded like me to admonish you. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You might not even know their work, but you're supposed to know them. You're supposed to esteem them. You're supposed to love them. They're obviously, you can go through that passage. They're supposed to oversee. They're supposed to um, admonish. They're supposed to um, work for the, the peace and purity of the church. Look at the next passage Titus chapter 1, verse 5. So after Thessalonians, Timothy, then Titus. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Say, so, well, what's gonna put it in, what's gonna put the church in order? The first thing mentioned, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Then it gives you a list of qualifications for those men uh, you are to appoint. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. So the apostles are going missionary journeys, planning churches, and this is what they conclude. Acts 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders. Plural, elders are plural, so more than one, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. God wanted elders, a plurality of elders, in every church. Now, Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17. Here's a command for everybody here. Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17. Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders. Command, you're supposed to do that. Those who spoke to you. So we give you the list of your leaders on the back of your connection every month. Remember them. Those who spoke to you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They are supposed to be examples that you're supposed to be able to look at and say, how do you do this? I need an example here. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So then, you're again commanded to obey somebody, to submit to somebody. You see, if you're not in a church, membership matters. If you're not in a church as a member, you don't have a leader to obey. You don't have a a, a leader to submit to. Obey my leaders? Well, I don't have any leaders. So, I I don't don't like going to the same church. I like driving around. I like going over to Greenville sometimes, going to church. Well, see, you're not in the community of faith that's elder-ruled, elder-oversight. You're not loving God according to His command. You can't even keep that command to obey your leaders and to, to submit to them and to remember them and to encourage them because they have to give an account They have to keep a role. As soon as people were saved in Acts chapter 2, it says they were added to their number that day. They started taking role because the elders were trained to be over that that role, that membership. And they had to submit to that. If we're not in that environment where we say, well, I just just want to do my own thing. I I want to keep my options open. I want to go to, to many churches. God's saying, well, that's strange because that's not the way I set it up. And that's not how you love me. I set my church up so that there would be a plurality. You wouldn't be under any dictator. There'd be a plurality of elders in every church. And they would work together to make sure all of these things were happening according to the command of God. And they're accountable for that. So when they get to heaven, that's their assignment. I'll I'll have to say, okay, okay, come on, elders. You're accountable. That's that's an awesome... i mean i always whenever i think it i said you know when we get to heaven all of you guys are going to be much closer to jesus than me because i'm accountable for so much i'm going to be way back it's like god's gonna say you didn't do this this, this. uh i'm gonna say sorry 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 you know it's it's there's a community aspect i better take seriously because i'm accountable to but you see you have to take it seriously too because you have your part. And God's looking at both of us to see how we're, we're coming together consistent with His commands. Again, you, you just see how the, the online community doesn't work because the elders can't know that they don't have the face. They can't look back as you're looking in. They can't have that relationship that God is requiring. Um, in-person public vows. Um, we do about three sets of vows here with some consistently, consistency. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. By the way, I'm teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes in the next hour, and it's awesome. Let me just give you one little passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. You get so much there, you're going to go to the house of God. God wants in person, face to face, being in his house, worshiping his. And now, when you get there, don't make it all about you. You need to draw near to listen. God's going to speak to you in his church because there's going to be the public reading of the word, there's going to be preaching and teaching, there's going to be other saints stirring you up. God is going to speak. Be ready to listen. As God is speaking to you a lot in that passage, verse twenty, verse two, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word. There's the vow, and it keeps talking about when you get ready to speak and when you make a vow. It says, don't don't be late in paying it. Verse four: When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. We make membership vows that we're gonna. We promise. We vow to God. Because you have saved us, we are going to live as a follower of Christ. God says, I love that, that you have thought about that, made that vow. Now, let's follow through and pay it. We make marriage vows typically before a preacher, before the the people of God in God's house. Don't delay in paying it. We make leadership vows. Um, Don't delay in paying it. So God says, this is something that pleases me. I like seeing you come into the house, I just want you to do it in the right manner, in a way that pleases me. The, the vows is something that does, the oath does please him, done right. Then, then, then number 10, quick quick example before I run out of time. Genesis chapter 4, you know that Cain killed Abel, right? Well, before Cain killed Abel, they're bringing their offering before the, uh, before the Lord. God did not like Cain's offering. He liked Abel's offering. And it te- the scriptures tell us um, why that's the case. Well, that's, let me just skip. Uh, Genesis 4, that's the story. Why did he not like Cain's offering? Look over at Hebrews 11, 4 through 6, and here's a commentary on that section telling us precisely why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was rejected. Hebrews 11, Verse 1, well, yeah, now now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So you're commended. God says, I I love it. I love it. I love it. Verse 3, first example. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God made everything out of nothing. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. That's all you need to know there. What made Abel's offering better than Cain's faith? I've given you nine things. Here's the tenth thing. The tenth thing is make sure you mix faith in everything you do before God. God, I believe it. You said it, I believe it. And because you said it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it trusting that it pleases you because you said it. Because, see, if you don't mix faith with it, if you don't trust that this is God's prescription and do it because God said to do it, then you're just doing a ritual. The ritual, whether it's listening to preaching, hearing the Word, taking communion, baptism... Vows, whatever. If you just do it, if you just go through the motions, you don't mix faith with it, it's just ritual. And then God says, I hate it. He says, Why do you just bring me lip service? You speak with your lips, but not with your heart. Who would enjoy that? It must be mixed with faith from the heart. Mix faith with everything for it to be pleasing to God. That's the point. And that gets us out of that ritualistic kind of church mindset of just showing up and going through motions thinking that pleases God. God clearly says, Well, it didn't please me with the first two men on the planet. I told you it was my first illustration was I wanted faith mixed with the offerings. So we need to get that as a strong point from God. Um, Well, it's, I'll stop. Let me let me let me end with a couple of illustrations. First, here's the first one. I don't know how long we were married. Married a long time. Patty was by. Maybe this is the reason. Patty was such a servant. She's always buying the groceries and everything that went with the house. But so after we were married for a long time, I was in the grocery store and my face was feeling a little rough. I'd shaved and didn't have any lotion. She hadn't bought, bought any lotion to put something on my face after a shave. So I thought, I'll buy some lotion. Then Walgreens bought me some lotion. Take it back home. Uh, next time I shaved, whatever, I put, put some on. Walk in the room. She says, what's that? What do you mean, what's that? I smell something. What's that? Well, I just bought some lotion for my face. Go get a bath. A bath? I hate that. I don't know what that is. Get it off. I decided from then on I was going to let Patty buy the lotion. It's her love language. I couldn't smell it. I thought it was fragrance free. You know, obviously it was not. She smelled me walking through the door. We we have fragrances to lift to God. And he can smell it. He knows whether it's what he likes or not. See, it's, it's about the love language. Is it something that pleases God that we're offering up to him? Or is it something we've invented and we thought, well, this, this will be good. This, this smells really awesome, really sweet. God won't mind famous last words of Nadab and Abihu. God says, I do mind. Or I'll just do this without faith. God says, No it's not going to work that way our fragrance our offering to god matters now one of the things i i often do in marriage counseling is i get the couple who's struggling with love language i said let's let's fix this so that you start communicating the problem's communication you don't know her love wants he doesn't know yours So let's write down on a piece of paper 10 things. And I tell the wife, write down the 10 top ways you would feel loved. And I tell the husband, write down the top 10 ways you would feel loved. Now, once they've both written their list, this is my top 10 ways for being loved. I say, now switch list, And so the husband, I said now read her list. If you wake up every morning and do something on this list, you've loved your wife. See, you're going to hit a home run if you do any of these 10 things. And she has her list the same way with the wife. Read his list. If you do any of these 10 things that he just wrote down, says you will love me if you do these things, then you've loved him. You're, you're starting to understand each other's love language. You're loving them the way they feel loved. And you don't have to ever wake up again and say, well, I don't know what to do. You've got 10 things to do. And if you do, they just promised, if you do any one of those things, you're hitting a home run. You're loving me, and I get it. You know stuff, now you have insider information. You know stuff other people don't have. You know how to love me, because I I just gave you a list. Put that list in your Bible. Open your Bible in the morning. Read that list, and say, God, help me love my wife. Help me love my husband today. Here's ten things. Lord, bring these to my mind, so that I love them well. Now, what if I were to give you a list of ten things that you could do to love God? You've been told all your life, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You say, well, I get that, but I don't know how to do it. What if you had a list? And God says, you will love me if you sit under the preaching and teaching of my word. I took a long time to put that together. Through holy men moved to the Spirit. You would love me if you just listened to it when it's read. And not let your mind wander. You would love me. If you would gather every week and be devoted to fellowshipping. To giving to one another. To stirring one another up. To stimulating one another. To love and good deeds. To praying for and with one another. Oh, that would be so sweet. If you would do that. I would love to hear you sing. Make some noise. Enter into my courts with praise. Sing joyfully before me. Come and give an offering. Come and give the tithe. Come and provide some relief. I would love it. You know the list. Don't make images. They don't love me. But these things do. Let's love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This much, we're trying to cover the book, but we're trying to love our God. You have loved us with an everlasting love. You have known us before our first day was known, and you know us when our last day's over. Lord, enable us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. May we get serious about our relationship with you that it's not a religion. It really is a relationship. It's personal. It's something where our focus is on the one true God and no other. And the way and the manner in which the one true God has designed to be loved. Father, for those in this place that have neglected you and it's only been a ritual and it's never really been a love language or a loving relationship lord let them be god lovers who keep your commands we ask that you would continue to nourish us and bless this time before we take this meal we ask in jesus name amen